Good morning. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. We gather here in the presence of Almighty God to come and to worship, to respond to who God is. And so welcome as we gather in person and welcome to those who are joining us online. If you're visiting, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're going to begin just by taking some announcements. And so if you look at your order of worship, on the inside cover is information about children's classes that are happening today. And there's children's worship in preschool and also the junior high class. And then on the very back of the order uh, are announcements. And um, Rob is going to share an announcement on behalf of the deacons about the day of service. Good morning. Uh, just a final announcement. We have a day of a service coming up next weekend, Saturday. It's going to be from 9 to 12 p.m. Uh, we're going to be doing a few projects, one here at uh, Northside and then uh, at the church office, just sprucing up uh, the church office space and planting some flowers. And then uh, we partnered with uh, the Greater Rockwell organization to clean up uh, the area along the riverbank uh, in a little section. So those are the three projects. We have a good amount of sign-ups, so thank you if you already have signed up. There's still a few more slots available. Our greatest need probably right now is someone to help with the lunch that will be served after people are done working. So uh, if you want to sign up for that, you can. In the weekly email, there's a link to the spreadsheet to sign up. Uh, I think you can also find that in here. You can talk to Pastor Chad, Pastor Brian, me, or one of the other deacons as well if you would like to sign up after church today. Um, hope to see you on Saturday, May 14th. Thanks, Rob. And yeah, just as Rob mentioned, there'll be the, the work time from 9 to 12, and then have, we'll have lunch together at the community space. And so, um, yeah, if you're able to join us next Saturday, it'd be great to have you. Um, a couple of things just to, to highlight is that starting on this Wednesday, on the 11th of May, uh, I'll be leading a, a Bible study where we kind of look at what we're talking about in the sermon series, which is the titles of Jesus given in the book of Revelation. So that'd be a three-week class, uh, Wednesdays at 7 o'clock in the community space. So this Wednesday is the first one at 7 o'clock. So uh, let me know if you have any questions. And then I just encourage you to take a look at the announcements like I mentioned. There's a men's breakfast coming up. There's a, a closing reception for the art show. So you know, take a look and see if there's ways that you might want to be involved over the next few weeks. Well, God's called us to gather in his presence. And as we prepare to worship, let's take a moment of quiet uh, before our, prepare ourselves to come before God. Good morning. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 30. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together.
anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning.
Almighty God, you are our true refuge, our steadfast shelter. We seek you and we need you and we long for you. Lord, even when we run from you, even when we wander long and far from you, even when we squander the blessings and the gifts that you have given us, you call us home and you are eager to meet us with your disruptive and your lavish grace. As we gather in worship this morning, Lord, make us make known to us your, your loving presence. Meet those of us who feel really near to you and, and those of us who feel really far away from you. Those of us who are happy and filled with joy and, and those of us who sit in darkness and sadness and even those of us who feel numb and not sure what to think. Lord, meet us in all of these places. And Lord, as we worship, as we hear your word, Father, remind us that we are your children. Now lead us into to safe pastures, away from the dangers of sin and death, away from the accusers, the, the deceiver's voice, to find the rest and the freedom we need in the, in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship, and also the, uh, the junior high class can be dismissed as well. Well, we do turn now to our time of confession and assurance, a time where we acknowledge with God our sin and our need of him. And we do this um, together as, as, a, as a church and then have a time of personal, quiet confession. O Lord, rebuke, o, o Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a bur heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighting is not hidden from you. My strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Be still, my soul. 
Gracious God, we are thankful that you came to us in our weakness, in our greatest need of rescue. While we were still sinners, you descended into the depths of our sin and death to be in our place and to raise us to new life. We give thanks with joy in the name of Christ. Amen.
Well, let's stand to hear the words of assurance that, that come to us from Matthew chapter 5. Please join me. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Well, as we've been welcomed into God's family, let us also welcome each other in the name of Christ.
Please be seated. The New Testament lesson is from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. The New Testament lesson is from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, Jesus answered them, I told, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will, <clears throat> excuse me, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. It's good to be able to worship with you, and thank you, Ozzy, for reading this uh, from God's Word. We're going to continue uh, our summer series in looking at the book of Revelation, and in particular, uh, reflecting on the titles that Jesus receives in that book. And just as a kind of a reminder, um, Revelation was written by John, the disciple, and it's addressed to seven churches in what is modern-day Turkey. Uh, these churches inhabited some of Rome's most prominent cities. Uh, and in chapters two, well, last week we looked at chapter one, the, the introduction, and today we're looking at one of those letters. But in chapter two and three, the ch those churches, seven churches, receive, uh, each receive a letter, sorry, from Jesus. 
And he commends them where they're faithful. He confronts them, comforts them where they suffer. And he admonishes them where they are losing faith or lack of fidelity. And so in chapter 2 and 3, just to say that again, there are seven letters given to the seven churches. Each letter opens with a different title for Jesus. And these different titles communicate his identity and his work. And in addition, they invite the hearers, those who are surrounded by all sorts of symbols, telling them about Rome being in power. The letters invite them to entrust themselves to Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of those letters, the letter, the message to a church in the city of Philadelphia. This ancient city of Philadelphia was known as the gateway to the east, and it was located on a well-traveled route that connected east and west, and it had commercial significance. It was prosperous, and it was a prominent location. And Jesus acknowledges the church, we'll hear in a moment, that the church had little power. Oh, little ones. Yet he invites them to see that he is the one who holds the key. And that what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. So let's look at our passage. This is from Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. You can follow in your order uh, or, or in your Bible. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And watch as I take those who call themselves true believers but are nothing of the kind Pretenders whose true membership is in the club of Satan watch as I strip off their pretensions and they're forced to acknowledge it's you that I've loved. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. In my own new name, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, this is God's word given for our good. And as we look at this letter to the church in Philadelphia, I want us to ask two questions. The first, questions. the first question is simply, what are the titles given to Jesus? And the second question that we'll ask is, how are these titles a gift to us, or how do they help us find rest in Christ? So the first, we can start by, what are the titles given to Jesus? And you notice that's how our passage opens. The letter is from the one who is the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. As we reflect on those, I want to take them in kind of two parts. The, the first part is the Holy One, the True One. Holy, set apart, 
righteous, not corrupt. True, we can think of faithful, genuine, not false. Holy and true were common names, common titles given to God in the Old Testament. And here these divine titles are applied to Jesus. He is the Holy One, the True One. We can think of what Ozzy just read to us from the Gospel of John, where Jesus is making clear that he and the Father are one. And we're reminded, as we touched on last week, that Revelation is a gift. This book is a gift to us that we don't want to get distracted or think that John's primary purpose is conveying details about the end of the world, but rather that he is giving to you and to me, everyone who would read of this book, a new vision. A new vision that offers comfort and encouragement to those who know fear, who are being forgotten or marginalized. Revelation, to give this vision, uses symbols and imagery and poetry to help us see the world around us in our own lives through the perspective of heaven, through the lens of God and God's kingdom. And as we take in this new vision, as we behold what we're invited to see, we have a better sense of the true nature of things. This is how revelation is a gift. Offer us a different perspective that in one of those ways that that might happen is that the world's offerings, such as money, material abundance, status, or pleasure, that the world offers these things as attractive and as necessary, but we are invited through the lens of the kingdom of God to see them as unsatisfying. That while there might be good in parts of them, they are ultimately unsatisfying. Or maybe this lens helps us to see that when we make sacrifices related to following Jesus, or sacrifices related to the call to love our neighbors as ourselves, that such sacrifices are not foolish or a failure, but rather we see that it is entrusting ourselves to the one who will endure, to the one who is true, to the one who is good. See, this is a gift, uh, this lens to invite us to see things and around us in our life in a different way, and this new vision, this new vision is rooted in an extraordinary high view of Jesus. He's consistently identified with the Lord, with the creator God. What Christ does, God does. What God does, Christ does. Jesus is the one who is holy and true. Well, if you're thinking about these titles, that's the first group, but then we can see the titles also point to how Jesus uses this divine authority or divine power. He holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. These titles come from the book of Isaiah in chapter 22. And in that section, the prophet is using the image of a house that is in disarray, 
a house that's in disgrace as a way to speak about God's people. And the Lord makes a promise in the midst of this house in disarray. He makes a promise that I will cast out the corrupt leaders and I will raise up an anointed one from David's line. And the one who will restore the house. Who will have, he will have the authority to open any door and keep it open. To lock any door and keep it locked. And as God is inviting us to see this work he's doing, he then changes the image but continues saying that he will take this anointed one, this promised one, and I will pound him like a nail into the solid wall. He'll secure the promise. Everything. Everything in the house from big to small will hang on him. This is the promise that is spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And like all the other promises of Isaiah, they point beyond another human leader, another human king. They ultimately point to Jesus who transcends all human categories. That he's more than a new leader. He's the one and all these things hang that he can open the door to the kingdom of God. He alone grants access to God and to salvation to reconnect what has been broken in our life. He alone can welcome or judge and all others, no matter their resources, no matter their status, they are unable to close the door that Jesus has opened. This is what the titles are saying about Christ. We are invited to proclaim and to see him in this light. And so having looked at those, we can then ask, well, how is that helpful to you and me? How is that a gift? And I want us to, to reflect on that by seeing our passage offers two contrasts. Two contrasts. And the first one, to those who have little power, a door has been opened. To those who have little power, a door has been opened. I don't know about you, but it, I imagine that we all have a similar experience that Kind of the air that we breathe, the, the, the culture around us has a strong em emphasis on being in control. Like we're in control of our own lives, control of how things go, and there's this kind of illusion that we can fix any problem, overcome any limitation. And the image of the door that runs through our passage reminds us that this is an illusion. We have seen in the history of our world, in the present day, nation after nation or organization after organization, many that are powerful and large sooner or later come to doors which they cannot open. Or doors that are open that they wish they could shut. In Philadelphia, we're reminded here was a small church. Jesus is clear about that, that they are confronted with their lack of control it's possible that in that setting, in a prominent city, in a, a very small, insignificant church, they could think there's not much that we can do or not much that will amount to. And they not only had little power, but we don't know the details, but they were in a place that people were denying them that they belonged to God. So this church was small, but also opposed. It, it didn't feel at home anywhere. 
Yet when we think about a door, heavy and closed, this image doesn't only speak of outside forces, the way the world works or how those others treat us. As I was thinking about this image that Jesus gives us, I thought of a quote from C.S. Lewis, who says, the closer you get to the sun, the bigger the shadows. The closer you get to the sun, the bigger the shadows. And he goes on to explain that what that means is that there's this paradox that often when we grow in our faith, grow in our knowledge of Christ, that we have a deeper awareness of our limits and our sin. That we see maybe even more clearly the ways that we're broken or fall short of loving God and loving our neighbors. The knowledge of our personal sin and powerlessness can only grow as we get to know God better. And one author reflecting on this says, it's for this reason that Christians who understand grace are much more readily able to cry when something sad happens, to apologize when they make a mistake, and to laugh at themselves when they do something stupid. I, I like that description of, of Christians. I hope that could be true of us. Ready to call things sad that are sad. Ready to take responsibility or even to laugh at ourselves. This is because we don't need to defend or protect a reputation. To those who have little power, those who know their sin and their limitations, a door has been opened and no one can shut it. This echoes what Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, fear not little flock, fear not little ones, for it is your God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. Even in your little condition, you have kept my word and not denied my name. Look, I have set before your door, which no one is able to shut. The door has been opened and remains open. This is the good news. Even though you were little, even though you know your limitations, the door has been opened to be united to God in Christ, and no one can shut it. So that's the first contrast that we're given. The second one, the second one that helps us think about this as helpful to us, is that those who know instability will be pillars who are never moved. Those who know instability will be pillars who are never moved. I love Chicago. I really love living here. I've realized I've lived here almost 25 years. But even the greatest cities have some drawbacks. <laughs> I try not to talk about the weather too much. But I mean, I'm sure all of us can think about this recently. The spring has been hard. I noticed in block club that sends out you know, news reports, they've had a number of things about the weather lately. Someone there is really beat down by the, uh, by the lack of sun. But there was a story recently that the city's seen largely gray skies during the past 45 days. And I don't know how they record this, but the April in Chicago, we have only 34% of the possible sunlight we could have had. <laughs> only 34% of the possible sunshine that we could have had. It's the second lowest in the history of the record to keep. So it's not just you that's feeling a little down by the weather. 
So even the greatest cities have some challenges at times, and I, I mention that because Philadelphia, as I said, was prosperous, was prominent, had great vineyards, the historians said, but it did have one major drawback. It was subject to earthquakes. It was subject to earthquakes, and history records numerous of them. In, in particular, there was one in 17 AD that apparently deeply affected the city and many of the towns and cities around it. Why do I say that? <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that in this setting of uncertainty, in this context of where people knew what it meant to seek refuge, to have to flee things that were unstable, Jesus promises a sure structure that bears his name. Hold fast. Do not let anyone seize your crown. A new image comes in here that the crown is the, is the reference to the wreath that one would receive after completing an athletic contest. Hold fast. Run the race to the overcomer, to the one who holds and continues, endures, is given the promise to be a pillar in the temple of God. To be a pillar in the temple of God. This is an image of stability. And of course, it's not rooted in your strength or mine. Like all the gift that runs through Revelation, it's ultimately rooted in Jesus, for he is the one who is first called the overcomer. He says to the church, to those who conquer, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on the throne. To those who know instability in this world and around them, in Christ you will not be moved. I will make you a pillar in the temple of God. He says, and you shall never go out of it. And to stress that it's not based in your strength or mine, he then says on this pillar there'll be names written. The name of my God will be written on you. The name of my, this new city of God, the new Jerusalem, it will be written on you as well. And my new name, Jesus says, which is a way of speaking of the resurrection, the one who has a name above all names, it too will be written on you as you are a pillar in the temple of God. To the city that had experienced devastating quakes and uncertainty and instability. To the city where people had known what it was to flee out into the countryside to seek refuge. The promise of Christ is this. The one who has conquered, the one who is holy and true, will make you a, a firm pillar that cannot be moved. I invite us to think not only of Jesus' titles, but to reflect on what those mean for us, that they can speak to our hearts as we feel little and when we feel so unstable, that we may hear his promise that a door has been opened that will not be shut and a pillar has been established that will not be moved. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that you are good to us by giving us your true word. And we thank you for the risen Christ who entered into our death and sin and came forth victorious, the overcomer. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand with us? We'll sing together. You labor. 
given your son to patiently endure all things on our behalf. Therefore it is good and right for us to join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. This table is a visible word, a visible proclamation of who God is and who Christ is. This is a, a chance for us to think again about this promise that Christ makes that he opens doors that no one can shut and he shuts things that no one can open. In this table, we reminded that Jesus entered into our sin and death, the broken bread and the cup of his blood. But we gather around the table not only because he entered into our sin and death, but because the door that had always been closed, the door of death, was opened by Christ's resurrection. That it could not hold him. And so he comes forth as victorious over sin and death, not just for himself, but for you and for me. And so as we gather around the table, we do so not in our victory, not because we could open the door, but we gather in the name of Christ and his victory, the one who has borne our sin and mortality and given us a new life. This is the good news. And it's an invitation for all of us to entrust ourselves to the one who can do what we cannot. So I invite you to come to eat and to drink and to be nourished by the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this table. And I pray, Lord, as we come in faith and repentance that you would meet us. Lord, help us to let set aside trusting in our own strength, our own control. Lord, also help us to come honestly, bringing our sin and our, our weariness and our fears. That at your table, Lord, that we may know your strength, your forgiveness, your overcoming. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was portrayed after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite you to come forward to receive communion. There'll be servers here at the front. You can receive it at the center aisles and then go back on the side.
I ask that you would hold the elements until everyone's been served that we can eat and drink together. Also, if you're not taking communion today, I still invite you to come forward. You just put your arm across your chest, and Pastor Brian or myself will happy to offer a prayer for you, a blessing for you here at the front. Uh, there's juice and wine, that's a, and also there are wafers or, or this bread here that you can uh, partake of. I invite you now to come forward to receive the elements.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. When Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins, let us drink in faith. I invite you to stand with me that we can sing and pray in response to this table of grace that God's given to us. Lord Jesus Christ, you have made known to us the loving kindness of God and that we are saved not because of our righteous works, but according to his mercy. With thankfulness, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Let us declare our faith in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised to life. On the, sorry, sorry. On the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, afterwards he appeared to his followers and to all the apostles. This we have received and this we believe. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, we're going to continue worshiping through the time of, of giving our offerings to the work of the church. And so and go ahead and invite uh, the greeters that come forward and, and uh, invite you to, to give to, um, in, in response to God's generosity, to give to the work of the church. You can do so by giving in the offering plates or there is, uh, through the church website, uh, there's a way to give online. Or you'll see a note in your order uh, telling you different options as a way to give. I uh, just want to take a moment again to say welcome, especially if you are visiting uh, us today. We're so glad that you're here. Um, I'd love to have, a chance to have a chance to meet you after service if you're available. Also, there on the way in, there's a welcome table. Uh, and there's a, a pad there that you can leave your name and information. Uh, it'd be great to follow up and give you, share uh, more information about the church. So I invite you to, to do that. Also, one last thing just to mention is that we have a time of coffee and fellowship after the service. And so it is um, at the McPherson Playground. So just kind of around the corner, you'll see uh, some information in your order. Can walk around the corridor and, and hopefully you can join us for a time of being outside it's nice <laughs> the weather's looking nice and you can have some coffee together i invite you to stand that we can sing the doxology together praise god from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures
receive now God's blessing. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, may the love of God surround you now and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. Thank you.